Welcome to the MindVine podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the MindVine podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. So welcome to the MindVine podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers, and I'm with my co-host, as always, Chris Bovey. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Daryl. I'm just, uh, I'm in the uh, Roblox room, just so you know. So I've got the <laughs> dirty look. So I've got a, I got a time limit before these, she comes in and wants the Roblox back. So <laughs> yeah, I'm in the um, bedroom slash exercise and laundry room, which also <laughs> is a through way for my children into anywhere. So somebody could come bursting in here at any moment. So prepare for that. And they don't listen to me either. So if I ask them to leave, uh, they're not likely going to do that. <laughs> but we're going to persevere. And uh, we're going to uh, have this episode of the Mind by Podcast. We're in February of 2021, which uh, is starting to look a lot like 2020. Um, we're hoping uh, for better things uh, during this pandemic. Vaccine, hopefully, is going to get sorted out soon. I know our staff at Ontario Shores, some of them started to receive the vaccine and hopefully we'll be back on a steady stream soon, uh, along with other healthcare providers in Ontario. That sounds good. I hope yeah. uh, I hope it happens soon, sooner yeah. than later, and we get back to some some normalcy or so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one thing that's kind of you know happens every February, so for some normal normalcy is uh, Black History Month. And uh, we figured this would be a good time. Uh, to bring in our our guests for this week's or sorry for this episode of the Mindvine podcast to talk a little bit about black or mental health in the black community, and um, with being it being February and all, and we'd like to welcome. Um, she's got like the longest uh, LinkedIn profile bio I think I've ever seen. Um, so she does a lot of different things, uh, but I think it's easier to describe her as a filmmaker, actress, and mental health advocate. Uh, so pleased to welcome Stacey Ann Buchanan to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Hey, Stacey. Good to see you. We Good really appreciate you. Yeah, really appreciate you joining us. Um, we were mentioning a little earlier uh, just how important, you know, this month is and uh, for organizations like ours to uh, to recognize it, but, you know, in a way that makes sense uh, for us and, and you being a mental health advocate, yeah, you're, you know, you have you Google your name, you're, you're all over the place. You're affiliated with a lot of different organizations. Your, your media profile is quite extensive. Can you tell us a little bit, just to start us off, about your own personal connection to, to mental health? Um, I would say my personal connection is, is basically, it's pretty much my story. So I, um, for most of my life, film and TV, acting world has just been my passion. And I remember back in 2010, uh, 2011, I decided, you know what, I'm going to pack up, I'm going to leave Toronto, and I'm going to move to Vancouver to pursue my acting career. I figure it's uh, the pond is much smaller for me there. And I gave myself six months to be really super famous, like Halle Berry. I figure we share the same birthday. So the same success and while I was out there and pursuing this acting career I um I started noticing little changes in my body like um eating really fast or not sleeping brushing my teeth fast showering fast walking fast just doing a lot of things fast and I had a roommate at the time who was studying to be a nurse and she said I think you're showing the symptoms of anxiety and I went into my room and I thought to myself anxiety never heard a black person say anxiety. I mean, I know anxiety because in my acting classes in schools, I've always been the only black girl. And so I hear my white friends talk about anxiety. So I associated anxiety with just the white girl thing. Never thought, you know, never heard of a black person talk about anxiety. Said, you know what? Let me check myself into the hospital because there's something, there's something really wrong. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trembling. Things are moving fast. And they did a whole bunch of tests on me and it did came back that I had anxiety I was prescribed Valium. I remember looking at the prescription and saying to myself, remember doing a scene in acting school again and Valium is a crazy people drug. They're telling me I'm crazy. So I didn't um, pursue to buy the prescription. I kept on repeating mind over matter, thinking that I beat my anxiety. Then it came back a week later. I was hospitalized. Um, I was taking, I was going home with a heart monitor or staying in the hospital on the treadmill. They were just figuring what's wrong. I had to go home because I was so sick. 
And even though I made lifelong friends in Vancouver, I still needed home, which is Toronto, to come back home to family. But the thought of coming back home and didn't make it as a superstar like I thought I would then propelled my anxiety into depression. And I struggled with two forms of depression, the, the regular depression that we know of, the closing of the blinds, the not eating for days or eating until you're sick, um, not talking on the phone, not showering for days, not brushing your teeth, just being on the covers and, and just being in a very um, dark place. And I struggled with that versus high functioning depression where I went out in the world. My social media was amazing. You couldn't tell nothing was wrong. I was living my best life here and make up everything done and because I wanted to mask what was going on on the inside. Because in the Black community, mental illness isn't really seen as a real illness. It's something that you can pray away, read your Bible away. And everything will be okay. And I remember even mentioning this to my father because he was the only one that I trusted at the time. And he told me the same thing, read your Bible, pray and drink some tea, drink some tea. So I'm going to wrap this up a bit, but I wanted to, I wanted the audience to know where my story really um, um, came from. I was in a really, I was, I was suicidal. I had, I struggled with suicidal ideations and, um, I remember what saved my life was a very ignorant comment that my dad made, but it's very common. My dad said, since I like to talk so much, how about my, how about I tell my business to strangers because he couldn't help me. And he figured if I tell anyone I know, then they're going to tell someone and they're going to tell someone and somehow it's going to reach back home to Jamaica where I'm originally from that he's raising a mad daughter. And so parents take it as their responsibility and it's about them. It's not so much about what the child is going through. It's I failed as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I took my dad's advice and I told a stranger. And for a few months, strangers became my therapist. And I didn't go looking for strangers to talk to. It was just one day I was sitting at the park and um, I was crying and the lady asked me what was wrong. And I just told her everything that was wrong, how I felt like a failure being an immigrant um, child and, and, and feeling like um, I'm about to turn 30 and I should have my whole life together because I didn't have the kid. I didn't have the house. I didn't have the picket fence. I didn't have the husband. I didn't have anything. So I had to have the career. And I put all this pressure on myself because I don't know if you guys remember when you were 29, 28, 30, you felt like 30 was this huge number that you had to accomplish so much. And so I put that huge pressure on myself. Now, how I got to the place where I am, I took my story and I decided that I needed to share the story. So um, in 2012, while I was still battling with my depression, I made a pact that I was going to take my own life. But before I go, I was going to create an event. I wanted to leave my mark on this world. So I was going to create an event that, um, that will have people remember me because I believe that we're all put here for a divine purpose and I needed to find mine. And so I was like, let me just create an event that showcased um, the talents of music, poetry, dance, fashion, and film into one production. And, and after that, I was just gonna go. When I did that production, the show was sold out and people came up to me and said, oh my God, this is so good. You have to do it again. It was a, it was a stand innovation. Everyone that told me that I needed to do that show again saved my life. And so I created a production company from the, from the, um, the success of the show, and I was going to launch it the next year. People started buzzing. Where did Stacey McKinnon come from? Who does she think she is? And that's the thing about life. Even though it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, people will never see the blood, sweat, and tears that you went through. They only see your shine. So I was upset, and I said, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let people know. Did they not know that I almost took my own life? And so I wanted to write a book, but I said, you know what? I'm more creative. I'm going to do a documentary. And I wanted to do a documentary that showcased how mental health is viewed in the Black community, how much of a stigma it is, how much it is swept under the rug, how much of a veil of a shame that is worn, and how much it is the number one silent killer. And that documentary that I made from producing and directing from my credit cards is why I'm here now. So I'm just shocked you didn't think Daryl and I are still in their 30s, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I wanted to touch, because mental, you know, the stigma around mental illness is something we live every day and we're so used to. But, but in the movie, The Blind Stigma, where you unpack that stigma in the Black community is a, a whole different level. And I wanted to, to talk a little bit about that. Yes. See. Now, I know you talked a little bit about 
Jamaica and the religious community, but what other things are there that we should know about why, you know, why would the black community have a, an increased level of stigma when it comes to mental illness? Well, to be honest, Chris, as my work progressed as a mental health advocate and my, my mission and my purpose started evolving and, 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 and being radical, I realized that the root, I had to go to the root of what started this. And the root of it stems from transgenerational trauma. So there's a lot of trauma in the black community that we needed to, that we really need to heal from. And I can, and I can, a lot of it has to do with um, how we, how we view the world, because a lot of our narratives were stripped away from us. I mean, you took, you, you took, you, you stole a bunch of people from their land, brought them on stolen land, but that's a whole different story. There's just trauma that we're living through. I saw a quote on Instagram that actually got me to really dig deep into my work. And it said, when they freed the slaves, when slavery was abolished, no one sat the freed slaves down and gave them therapy. Now think about all of that trauma that we've been going through for all these years and centuries and decades. It's then in our DNA and pulled down into the way that we treat our children, into the way that we we navigate through this world. So when we talk about there's a, you know, this is this is a very popular stereotype. Black people beat their kids. They beat their kids. Well, where did we see beating from? Who beat us? Where did we see that we got to beat the good into you? We got to beat the bad out of you. We got to beat the sense to you, right? So there is this there is this there's this unpacking of trauma and healing that the black community needs in order to progress with our mental health. So when it comes to mental health, it's something that is, we are so stereotyped and traumatized into thinking that strength is something that you carry a load. You just carry it. Anything that comes your way, you just take it. You just take it because you're black and you're supposed to be strong. And I'm here to dismantle that whole meaning of strength and saying strength is something that you put down, you choose to put down, nothing that you choose to carry. And I think if and I think if we go through this process of, of finding the root, and that is just one example of the beating, right? We find in the root of where this comes from, we can then propel into healing. A lot of it too is systemic racism, it's anti-black racism. It's a lot of that that we dealt with, right? The world went through a pandemic in 2020. Well, black people have been living through a pandemic, racism all their lives. So we went through two pandemics. And there's there's a lot to unpack, and there's a and and it's, oh, it's a lot to unpack. I know you. I I don't want to go overstep my answer because sometimes I just go off, not off the grid, but I just go down. But no, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I I think I know we were talk, talking about it a bit earlier. Is um, you know, education, right? And yes. uh, when you're when you're answering Chris's question, uh, I'm asking myself, like, when did I when did I realize that mental health in the black community was a thing? Like, why is you know, like, when did I like when did I realize that you know um, we need to look at things you know in their own unique ways, right? Because everybody brings their own. Every community has their own set of, of challenges. And I, I'm thinking it's only been a really short period of time. Like we, I guess like we've been, have we been blind this whole time to things going on in, in, in this community and others like, it, or people finding their voice or is it a combination of the two? Are you asking me a question? If we've been blind, if mm -hmm. like, I, I think it's, it's definitely a, a combination, a combination of two. It's, it's a both. It's, 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 Part of the reason why I named the film The Blind Stigma is because it's turning a purposely blind eye to it. Because if we're talking about mental health in the Black community, for instance, it is such a shame loves secrecy. Secrecy loves shame. So it is a shame to say that you have failed. There is no failing. There is no, um, I'm going to go crazy or I'm going to go mad. See? It, if I if I talk about a specific community direct, let's talk about the Jamaican community where I'm from. There is no in between. It's either you're sane or you're gone mad. There is no in between to to direct. And language is so important. Education is so important. Where we have to educate the the different the different forms of mental illness. You know, we have to educate what is mental illness and why it's not something that should be just deemed as as it's a spiritual thing or something you can just pray away. And by no means am I denouncing my Christianity or saying 
cardio doesn't move mountains. But if there's a doctor, if you can go see a doctor for your physical illness, why can't you see a doctor for your mental illness as well? Right. right. So there, there is a, there is a lot to unpack. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Chris, because I, I Daryl, but I know like when you were, when you were asking the question, I think I was more um, receiving it as like you were making a statement, not a question. So I'm not sure if I'm answering. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making a statement or not. I just like, <laughs> I'm just like thinking out loud, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, how, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I don't want to get too far off the path, but these things come up in society you know, like uh, what happened in in May with George Floyd, where a large segment of the population just it opened eyes, right? And uh, for, and then you you feel like um, I know, like me specifically, when that happened, you know, for all I take pride in you know in being open minded and trying to 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 learn and and be educated. But then when something like that happens, you almost feel like this guilt that you didn't know more, right? Like I can't believe that that it's that it's at that point and and I didn't you know and I didn't realize it and I think for you know when you were talking about you know mental health in the black community it's very similar like I really like I would never have thought it was an issue any more than any other you know ethnic group or or cultural community but um when you know when you talk about it in the, in the terms you have and the trans transgenerational trauma trauma and and yeah. you know and and you think about your own perspective too, and what you learn from your parents, and what you picked up along the way. Like it does, it makes a lot of sense. So just like, how do we move? I guess how do we move forward? Like you talked about education, like, but this is you know this is a decades old issue, and so how how do we make steps towards making things better? Are you talking from specifically the black community or? Yeah, well, I mean, from what you see as a mental health advocate, whether it's in the black community or society as a whole, like, what do um, we what do we need to do? I think for the black community, is like I said, finding us knowing the root of of where all this trauma stems from, and us finding um, and a holistic way to heal. So my grandmother always used to say. You, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you're coming from. And it, it's a way of saying, what is, what is, what is the root of, uh, of this pain and this suffering and this trauma that goes, goes beyond our history so vast? Our history is just so vast. And I think a lot of people think Black history just starts with slavery. And that's another thing I want to get into. But um, our history is so vast. And there's so much that we need to, in the Black community, that we need to unpack and that we need to, healing is not linear, healing is not pretty, healing is ugly, it's mucky, it's disgusting, it's a whole lot of uprooting that we need to do. But I think once we start doing it holistically and also by educating ourselves and wondering and, and seeing how our narratives have been stolen from us, dismantled from us, lied to from us, and how we're living in a bubble that has been written for us that we have to now take back our narratives. So I do a podcast too, and it's about mental health in the Black community, and my tagline is taking back our narratives. And for, for, for the community, other communities that are not Black, let's talk about allyship. Allyship is not just when it's Black History Month, let's learn about Black history. Allyship is not putting up a Black square in June when they're asking people to put up a Black square. Allyship is, is a continuation of educating yourself. Allyship is not so much going to a Black person asking what to do. It's also taking the initiative to use Google, to read books, to know what is happening to, because there's a lot of emotional labor that can be put onto a Black person to then be bearing all of this pain and racism that we go through, which is, which is, which is one of the root of a lot of our trauma that we're dealing with and then having to educate as well. So I think allyship means that educating yourself. It also means um, being alert, taking off the rose colored glasses, the, 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 the privileged glasses that you've been granted and notice when there's discrimination, notice when there's racism. And, and a lot of it, we could say, and this is a whole nother topic. We could say like, we only see racism in the States. We only see it to our neighbors. No, it is here. It is just covered with a smile that says, hey, nice weather, eh? But it is here and it's not talked about. The racism in Canada is not talked about. It is covered up. And, then, and I think it's time for that to be uprooted. And this movement is definitely starting it, but we have to continue with it. So ally, allyship is seeing 
If you're at the grocery store and you, the person in line and you see that they're treated differently because of the color of their skin, they're looked upon in the store, they're being watched because of the color of their skin. That is something that can be spoken up about and showing allyship, right? So allyship is not a one day thing. It's not a, it's not a 2020 thing. It's not a black history month thing. It's an everyday thing because racism has been so rooted to be systematic for white privilege is, is, is just, it's like white privilege almost is educated. It's like a part of your education. It's like a part of the way you live that you don't even notice it. But when this movement, this reckoning started, it started and it's, and it's not something that should just end or not something that should be like, okay, this is just, just going to be like a Rodney King thing. This is going to be like for five years things and then we're just going to go back. No, this is a continuing thing. And it should always continue to move and to progressively move forward. But for other communities to wake up beyond the mental illness in the Black community, just to see how we have been treated unfairly, just to see our struggles, just to see where we live, just to see the foods that we can afford, where her kids can go, everything like that is a part of that. Just to see the, the, the tax bracket, you know, just to see how much money a middle-aged white man will make compared to a black man, black woman who has a higher education. All of this is so unfair. So seeing that, uprooting that, standing up for that, saying actually no, that is a form of allyship and that that is a form of how we can progress. I don't know if I'm making sense. <laughs> like, you know I love the, uh, before, is- before Chris jumps in, I mean, I, that you use the, the term emotional labor. Like I, that made a lot of sense to me just talking about, yeah. you know, especially, you know, where we're, where we live in Durham region, where, you know, it, uh, it's predominantly white and you know growing obviously in terms of um, ethnicity but it is still not as diverse as you know a city like toronto and like the yeah emotional labor for somebody you know who represents a, a different group having to do all the education all the heavy lifting while everybody around them just asks questions i thought that made uh, made a lot of sense and and look at it too black people we're, we're, we're forever stuck in this bubble right we speak up or be labeled as angry because we're passionate and we've gone through so much pain and we're keeping it in, or we keep it in and deteriorate our mental health. So it's like, where do we win? Where, where do we win, right? But yeah, good, yeah. So I wanna ask you a little bit, you know, I was thinking about this today and I, I, we do some work with first responders and I know that they've always said, something resonated with me where they're, we're, we don't necessarily feel comfortable getting care because the caregiver doesn't understand what we where we come from or the culturally sensitive i'm wondering for the black community reaching out to a therapist is is there a is there a barrier in feeling that if i go see someone they're not going to understand what it's like to be a black woman or a black man and, and yes and that's a barrier yes. to accessing care that that is a barrier and because we have been so treated unfairly in the medical field it's like we go i'm going to break it down for you guys if I'm at the hospital and I'm struggling with pain, my stomach is, is, is there's, there's a flesh eating disease that's eating out my stomach and I'm in pain. And my white friend is sitting beside me and her finger is cut. Let's be realistic. The doctor is going to tend to her first because my pain isn't seem like it is real because black people can withstand pain. When you talk about, when you talk about, um, I'm trying to find the correct term. When you talk about the difference between, um, women giving birth, black women giving birth versus a white woman giving birth. It's like our pain can be, our pain doesn't seem like it is, it, it is the magnitude of what it is. It's always diminished. And that's why the term that uses to describe black people as strong, it, it is, it's a term that strips us of our humanity. Hmm. It's a term that dehumanizes us. So when you're saying that I'm strong, okay, because you feel like I'm strong, I can withhold pain. I can't cry. I can't take things in. I'm not supposed to, to show my emotions because then God forbid I show my emotions and I'm, I am now I'm angry, hmm. you know? So it's, um, it's, a uh, our struggles has been long has been so long and and the the this this movement that this powerful movement this radical change this reckoning that happened 
last year is just the tip of the iceberg because, because, and it took, it took, it took a death. It took, it, it took a, a murder. It took something like that to finally see what we've been trying to speak up against. And now everything is coming in where I don't, I don't want to go off topic, but um, to answer your question, uh, question, Chris, it's, I don't even remember what your question is because I just got so involved in, in no, trying to explain, like, you know? I think culturally sensitive care is important for a lot of communities. Yeah, when it comes to therapy, because like we feel like if we go there and we're trying to explain what is happening and maybe like, well, maybe if you use some mind power, you can you can get out of your situation. I live in a hole. I live in what you deem as the ghetto. I don't like that word. I cannot afford um, electricity at times. And you're telling me my mind power when the system has been built against me. So it's kind of like, I want to see somebody that looks like me, that is a therapist, that can say to me, give me the tools that I need. And, and that's why we're so scared, because we feel like we're just going to be read like a textbook. Yeah, our, our emotions, our feelings, our, our pain is not going to be understood. It's right. going to be diminished by fancy words, where it's not like, I don't see you. You know, it's kind of like, when I lived in Vancouver, every time I saw a Black person, it's like, oh, wow. Yes, it's kind of like, you see one of us, representation does matter. Mm -hmm. It does matter in the medical field, in the, in, in, in the political field. It does matter on film and TV. It does matter so much. So that's when we feel like we can more open up and more talk because we're like, you, you get me. You're not going to diminish my pain and think my pain is something that is in my head that I can just use the magic words of the secret and get away. Mm -hmm. You're going to really try to understand me. Right. Yep. Now, I know Daryl's going to talk about how we move forward, but I had one question I really wanted to ask you. Um, I know you talked about your dad in the spiritual, initially asked, told you to pray. And you're right, for a lot of people, that is sort of the first point of contact in their community for when things are not going well. Um, and moving forward, do you, do you think there's things we can do? You know, I'm wondering, like, do we need to do more with the faith community, with the with the religious leaders and the pastors? So, I mean, faith can play a role, but are they equipped to know how to direct for appropriate mental health care for their clergy and for their... Um, I think for the most part, pastors, deacons, leaders of the church are, are, are finding that, okay, you know, a prayer meeting, a prayer fast there's a difference between, okay, somebody that needs prayer and somebody that needs prayer plus help. In my documentary, it was very important for me to have a psychologist on board and also a pastor on board because the, the church plays such a huge part in mental illness in the Black community where it's deemed as demonic. You know, or in Jamaica, we'll say, Duffy come over you. So it's kind of like you're either, you're either possessed, right? And a friend of mine, this young lady, she... She's heavily a Christian. She's big in her church. And she just announced that she went to school, changed her career to be a therapist, a, a Christian therapist, because she sees that there's more work that needs to be done within the church. And it's not just mental illness is not something that just can be dismissed with just prayer, you know? And, and so to answer your question, uh, Chris, um, there is definitely a movement. It's very slow but it's shifting. And the more people talk about mental illness and the more people see that mental illness is not, is not just associated with the, with, the, with the person that's haggard or the person that's homeless. It's the person that looks like me. And the more people are being more educated about that, it's the more that they're like, okay, well, we really need, we really need a change. Right. We really need to change the stigma. You obviously um, sharing your story is a very personal thing. I wonder, you know, because you know, kind of the context where you said earlier in the when we first started talking, just how rare it is to talk about mental health, especially in the black community and growing up, how, you know, you, you felt like, you know, you, it's not something that you could share. You go and you, you make this documentary, you tell your story uh, all the time now. Do people in the black community come up to you and share their own struggles or how do they react uh, when they, when they meet you and, and discover your story? Yeah, they share their own struggles. It's, it's a hug. It's a, it's a handshake. 
it's uh, my inbox, like not one single week goes by that I don't get um, somebody requesting help or asking me for resources and places that they can go or sharing something that happened to them. Um, I had to say, when I was going to do this film, I reached out to a director to, to direct it because I had no idea of how the director filmed. And he didn't want to do it because he said the Black community does not support the Black community. So it's not something that he wanted to be a part of. And I was like, but I've done my research for a year. You know, what am I going to do with this film? And my dad was the one that actually encouraged me to do the film. And so I started directing it. And let me tell you, what that director said is completely wrong because the film would not be where it is today without the support of the Black community. When I was doing it, the people that came on board and donated and volunteered their time, their resources. You know, when this film came out, it was February 7, 2015. It was a snowstorm. The theater was packed. People were standing outside. I think people were just waiting, waiting for something to just come out. I don't want to start crying, but waiting for someone to say, oh my God, this has happened to me too. You're not alone. Because we, we think in the Black community that we're just the only one. And that's why we don't want to say anything because it's embarrassing. It just looks so bad. Like I'm supposed to have my life together. I'm supposed to have this together. I can't let a little depression or I can't let a little anxiety bother me. I just got to shake it up and be together. And that's where the, the, the term strength just strips us of our humanity, you know? And, and, and so I always go off topic, but um, the community has been so supportive and people do come up to me all the time and thank me for this film. And then I, in return, thank them for spreading the word, for, for commenting, for liking, for sharing, for, for being a part of this movement. What, what has it meant for your, your own mental health, sharing your story and being so transparent about your you life? You know what? It's like this. It's like therapy session. You know, when you, you know when you keep things in, it just eats away at you slowly. But when I share it, I just feel more empowered. Like I shared it, like, what do you, I, I no longer feel like it's a secret or something I need to hold on to. No, it's gone. What are you going to do about it? Is it going to help somebody save someone else's life? Yes. It's going to help somebody move on. Yes. Because my movement and what I'm doing, uh, Chris and Daryl, this is beyond me. This is above me. This is not about me. It's about changing the stigma. It is about giving a voice to the voiceless. And the more I walk into my purpose and the more I walk into my mission, it's the more I understand that it's it's like a circle of life. You're put here to serve. And, and if your story serves as a catalyst and if your story serves as a purpose and a reason to help someone else, why not do it? So was there a moment, you know, your dad went from sort of resistant to one of your biggest advocates. Yes. <laughs> was, there, was there like an aha moment for him or an epiphany where something that triggered him to, to, to see it in a different light? Yeah, when he was doing the interview for the film. Because when my dad in, in, in said, you know, you got to do this film. The director doesn't want to do it. You went through all of this. You have to do this. And I was like, are you going to come on camera? And are you going to tell people how you treated me, your only daughter, when I was going through my stuff? He took a couple seconds and he said, absolutely. So in the film, my dad cried. And after my dad said, I, I didn't know better. I was taking the teachings from my grandparents who taught my great, let my great grandparents taught them. So it was generational. Yeah. And so do you know what I'm talking about the trauma before Daryl? So it's like, it's the generational trauma that we're breaking. So my dad didn't know now my dad, biggest advocate. And we, we have a cousin in Jamaica that is schizophrenia, has schizophrenia. And usually when we go down, it's like, if a person in the family is quote unquote mad, and they come around you, you want to be like, just move, man. Just run them away. I don't want to deal with you. And my dad was in Jamaica. And my aunt was saying that to my cousin. My dad's like, no, 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 no. Come here, sit. We're going to talk. And my dad's views have done like a 180. 180 because he saw, he's like, I could have lost my daughter. And, the, and what he said, what scared me is because I didn't know how to help you. I didn't have the tools to help you. And the tools are simply saying, let's go see a therapist. Because the moment you say that, no, 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 you're crazy. That's, we don't, we don't see therapists in our house. Like this, 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 no therapist. Like, you know, you're in the crazy zone. We don't want that. So yeah, my dad just did a 180. And that's some of the, I know Daryl's going to, I'm going to, he's going to jump into this a little bit, but it, it's, it really makes you think about for people, it, it has to sort of hit close to home. So when I think about mental illness or even, you know, as a white man, when it comes to the black community, the best context 
you know, is to actually be, immerse yourself and really understand what's going on. Otherwise, we're getting all our information from TV and all sorts of different sources. And we don't really understand. And, and, you know, same thing with mental illness. A lot of parents are really loving, but they're like, it's a failure if my child has a mental illness or they, they don't want to go there. But often when you're kind of immersed and you're dealing with that firsthand, you start to get context and understand. And, and maybe that's even the secret. And I know Daryl will jump into this for, for everyone to understand what the black community is going through is to, is to really have honest, open communication and really take the time to understand. Yeah, without, without shame and without judgment. Because a lot of times we feel like we can't talk about it because we don't want so-and-so to know that we went through this and then it goes back and there's just talk and then I look like a failure. So the secrecy and the shame, that, that's, that's the veil that we wear, you know? And, and once we can remove that, we can authentically remove that and we can have positive conversations that are without judgment. I tell people this all the time. In order to move forward, we we do the work of uprooting transgenerational trauma, and then we we you know you, you start talking about it because when you talk when you talk talking is creating a buzz, it's creating awareness, right? You build awareness, you're gonna have a community that's coming together to say, okay, it's time for a change. A strong community that's saying, okay, it's time for a change. Change is gonna build resources, right? So it starts with talking. And, and, and this, the resources that are built are creating safe space, but safe spaces are within us as well. So if somebody comes to me and tells me something, I'm considered, I consider myself a safe space. It's not for me to go and blab and be like, oh my God, you can come to me with, and I'm that safe space and that's free of judgment. Because a lot of times people will think like, well, you, you live in a mansion, you've got, you drive all the hottest cars, you've got an amazing job, like why are you depressed? Why, what is going on? And it's like, everybody has their own struggles. It's not for you to judge. It's just for you to listen because you have no idea how people are functioning in life. Like I said, you have, you have some of the most successful people running off high, high uh, functioning anxiety and depression and have no idea, but that's what keeps them going. Yeah. What you just said, just reminds me, and I don't remember if I've shared on the podcast or not before, but I was at a mental health uh, event um, years ago. It was the day that Robin Williams um, had committed suicide. And you know, obviously the famous actor and comedian. And I'm with a bunch of people who are financially supporting this event, which is raising funds for mental health. Uh, and one of the guys I'm with uh, says, the guy, what, what reason would he have to kill himself? And I, I just remember, and nobody corrected him, and I didn't either. I didn't say anything. I was just more like, um, you know, shocked than anything. And then I started thinking about, you know, just how how privileged he is to think that that's the only like you only kill yourself when things are shitty in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. And here's somebody who's supposed to be connected to to the the cause of mental health, and it's it just shows, you know, the ignorance I guess that we have um absolutely collectively right and I mean, yes that was a while ago and and it may not necessarily relate to your own experience but just that if we're not challenged in any way we continue with these beliefs or not having beliefs and which i think was probably the case he wasn't educated enough to know to know the difference so yeah you know, we need to be challenged we need to find ways to Thanks. challenge ourselves and you know what's so interesting too? Some of the people that brings us the greatest joys in life and some colleagues and friends that are always happy, hashtagging living their best lives. You have no idea. A lot of them are probably suffering and struggling with depression, but they just don't know how to say it or what to do. I saw a commercial years ago and it was this guy that gets up every morning, goes to work. You can tell he hates his job. And he's just like all groggy. And then there's this guy in the elevator that's like, hi, hi, his name is Phil. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Hi, Phil. And this guy is like, and so the community, the commercial repeatedly shows him waking up in the morning, like knocking down his um, um, alarm clock, going to work, hating his job, coming back home, waking up doing the same thing. And there's always this guy saying, hey, how are you doing? And then on one day, a colleague um, held his shoulder and said, did you know that um, Dave passed away? And that's the guy that was like, hey, how are you doing? How's your morning? And you would think that maybe the commercial is diverted and to make it seem like this is the guy that hates his job that is really depressed. But no, it's the guy that comes to work happy and go lucky. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You know, and I and I and I saved that commercial actually. I actually saved it in my phone because it's so powerful. Because you never know what a person is struggling with. Doesn't matter what you think they have. Like you just you you just never know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this goes. This is around the globe. This is mental illness overall. You yeah, just yeah. never know. No, exactly. Um, one of the things you know, we're just as we get close to to wrapping up. Um, you know, you did mention that even though it's Black History Month, we got to talk about this twelve months of the year, but. It is Black History Month, and obviously, I don't. I, it's probably the biggest Black History Month uh, that I ever remember uh, in terms of the publicity and certainly the news coverage that uh, it's getting and content, good and bad. And and it's also we're in the middle of a pandemic with a really significant impact on mental health. While the two aren't necessarily connected in in what we're seeing in terms of the media. There, you know, mental health and, and issues facing black communities are quite prevalent right now. How do we how do we move forward? How do we keep, you know, whether put them together or work on them independently? How do we keep moving forward and in, in, in bringing these two issues forward? And this issue of could you tell me what the two issues are? Sorry. I'm just saying like in terms of the keeping keeping for the push in terms of mental health advocacy as well mm-hmm. as the issues facing uh, the black community, just racism overall. Well, um, beyond beyond Black History Month, right? Beyond, yeah. Oh, what yeah. Do we, what it, do we do on March 1st? Right. Is what I'm trying to get. Yeah. At. Is we, we continue talking about it. This is not just like, oh, this is this is Black History Month. So let's highlight um, black history. Let's highlight um Let's tell our stories. No, let's continuously tell our story. Let's continuously share. Let's continuously be allies. Like I said in the beginning, like it doesn't, it doesn't stop at a month. It doesn't stop at a year. It doesn't stop at a day. It's a continuous movement. And especially within the Black community, creating safe spaces, creating resources, creating awareness, and continuously talking about it is something that we have to do. And also recognizing the, the root of 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 where a lot of our issues stem from and 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 like i said creating those spaces and i want to continue that my that is what i do with my work is i continuously talk it's not even about bell let's talk day it's not about um mental health awareness month it's not about black history month it's like 365 round days for me is to continuously talk about how we can improve our mental health what are the resources that are there creating resources just just continuously do the work because the work just never stops and the stigma needs to change. And it's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change in five years. It's, it's, it's progression. And even with me progressing is, is lifting, is, is lifting as I climb. So building, building other leaders, not just being the one out there, just talking, creating a community of people that are willing to go out and talk too, because it's not going to just take me, it's going to take a multitude of, 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 of people to work. And when it comes to allyship, it's to continuously recognize this because mental health in a Black community is something that isn't, isn't, when I came up with this film, I'm going to cut myself off. When I came up with this film, this was in 2015. And last year, during the, like I said, the revolution and the radical movement and everything, the reckoning that happened, I got a distribution deal for this film. People started recognizing this film. I'm like, but I did this five years ago, now going on six years. And it didn't change overnight. It is just now pushing. It's more like people are more hearing about it because of the movements that's happening. But I've been doing the work and I will continue to do the work beyond. The work needs to keep going and the work needs to be seen. And, 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 and allyship is from all forms. And especially when it comes to mental health, because it's, it, it is an ill, because mental health overall affects the entire human being. It's collective. Our mental health it is, is something that we continuously need to talk about. And especially if there's, a, if there's a marginalized community that isn't, mental illness isn't recognized or it's, 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 it's pushed aside or seen like, but you can't have so-and-so. We need to bring awareness to it. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it I all makes sense. talk sometimes, but because you guys never jump in, right? But so I'm like, no, I don't no, we just no, it's good. But, but it, you know, you're right. 
these both these issues are very complex. You know, anti-black racism, mental health, and and there's 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 so many layers to it. There's economic issues. There's social determinants of health. Like all these things are connected. I'm just curious to sort of piggyback on what Daryl said. The only way we can move forward is if we're all part of this, the collective. And and you know, I think there are there are certain people that don't want to even hear the word white privilege that just want to ignore what's going on. I think there are, are you know, white individuals that want to help but are afraid and don't know how to. How do we how do we bring everybody together? How do we move forward as a complete society to having these types of conversations and moving this very complex, you know, issue whether it's economics or mental health or, you know, racism. How do we how do we move forward in a positive way? I think I think I think a short answer for that because this is gonna this is gonna take years of really intensive work is to those that don't see privilege needs to take off those glasses that they're looking through and those that that want to help can help by not just saying how can I help doing intensive research and 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 seeing where 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 are ways that I can help if I if I see that there is discrimination at work, if I see discrimination on the street, how are ways that I can help? Because like I said, the, the pandemic affects a lot of people's mental health. But think about Black people that have been living to, through, that lived through two pandemics or have been living through a pandemic of racism their entire lives. So it's, it's when it comes to our mental health, it's, it's continuously continuously having conversations about it. It's also definitely talking about the housing issue. Let's definitely talk about food security. Let's definitely talk about the kids, the youth, um, what they're eating, how are they functioning, how are they going to schools, how are they being labeled, if, if you know, how we're so quick to label them as ADHD and, and you know, why black kids, why we're not, there's no so much representation. And especially we talk about black history, like we're in black history month, so let's talk about black history. It's, we, why is it we talk so much about our neighbor's history and not the history of Canadians? And why is it that Black history is only talked about during the month of February in schools and it's not implemented into schools? Like Black people didn't help build this country or our backs were not broken from building this country. So I don't think it's something that should be, I think it's a continuous progress and movement that needs to completely, completely change. From, from our educational system, from the health system, from, from I, I think I'm losing my train of thought. It's just a whole radical movement that needs to happen. And it's not just going to take a, myself. I'm going to say a leader like myself. It's going to take a collective. And that's how we can collectively move. But also understanding I think a lot of I think a lot of people, especially when we talk about white people, don't understand really, truly the privilege. And they can they can account it with like, but but this person has more than I do, or they have so much money. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, privilege. Still, the world is set up more for you to win. And everything, like for instance, as a black woman, as a black person, we have to do things twice, if not 50 times as harder just to get through the door. So understanding our pain and taking away the guilt, it is not about you. Mm-hmm. It is not about you. Remove that guilt, remove that. Oh my God, I'm so tired of talking about this. How do you think we feel? How do you think we've been feeling? But yes, we we carry it on our shoulders and pretend be like we're strong. Yeah, no, we're exhausted, <laughs> beyond exhausted. Well, I, and you know, I think for some people, you know, that are white and maybe not doing well, they don't get the word white privilege. They think it means something that it doesn't. But what it really means is just if we put you beside somebody of, of a different ethnicity, black or whatever, you're going to have an advantage. It doesn't mean you're rich or you've done well. And I think yeah. they, they dismiss white privilege because they look and yeah. say, I'm poor, where's yeah. my white privilege? But they don't understand really what that term means. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why that's why education is so important. And like I said, the education system can go into that is already set up around white privilege so white privilege is is like institutionalized in a way that it isn't recognized you know and it's 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 a work like i said it it is it is it's tiring exhausting but it's never tiring and never too exhausting to continue because i have to continue leaders we have to continue we have to continue raising awareness and 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 moving forward and bringing to light something that that has a veil of shame around it 
or bring into light something that isn't necessarily talked about or bring in awareness to say, hey, hey. Well, hey, um, (laughs) moving forward. In addition to all the work you do in your documentary and um, advocacy work, you are like us, although you're probably much better at it than we are, uh, a podcast host. It's the. I think uh, you guys, you guys have been doing it yeah, for a long time. Yeah, doesn't mean. Uh, doesn't well, mean <laughs> if you saw our revenue lines, you'd probably question that comment, but because um, yeah, we don't have any. <laughs> but the Blind Stigma podcast, can you tell us a little bit about it and where people can find it? Yeah, so the Blind Stigma podcast, um, this idea stemmed into my head when I was at work uh, last year, was it? Last year was 2020, no, 2019. And I was like, I I feel like I've, I just did a documentary. I, I got to do more with this blind stigma, with the name. I got to I gotta do more with it. So I wanted to, to franchise it in a way and, and create a podcast. And I reached out to my friend, Dr. Natasha Williams, who is also the, the, the psychologist in the film. And I said, do you want to do this podcast with me? You know, I wanted to share the views of... of of the medical views per se um, versus the lived experience. So the clinical experience versus the lived experience. So I'm not just doing this podcast by myself and not having educated terms per se to help the guests when they, when they come on. So Dr. Natasha has been like the perfect balance. And so I wanted to create, uh, wanted to create a podcast and have people come on and, and, and share their stories and, and to go beyond and to reach people all over the world with a podcast. And you know what, too, what prompted me to do the podcast is like, when I became a mom and I realized like, I don't have time for anything. I don't have to sit and watch this. So it's like, but I can drive, I can, I, I can clean, I can listen to a podcast, right? So that's why I wanted to, to also push the movement and bring more awareness by creating the podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's, up, it's from the same name and it's um, the Blind Sigma podcast. It can be found on all the major um, podcast platforms. Wherever you get your podcasts, right? Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us on our podcast, which you can also get anywhere that you get your podcast. <laughs> and uh, like I was saying earlier, um, you know, we all have we all have our own stuff we bring. And I know this is the, these conversations are important. And it's probably not one I could have had like even 10 years ago without even really realizing it 10 years ago, um, just the, the way the world's changed and, and opened you know, my eyes. And uh, I'm glad I'm, you know, I'm glad to be a part of an organization that uh, at the very, we are having these conversations. So obviously we can always uh, do more as a society and help. Thanks for helping us have this conversation. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Together begins and ends.